Hello and welcome to the Exaserve Decarbonising Gas podcast. My name's Victoria Mustard and I'm the Decarbonisation Strategy Lead here at Exaserve. As the central data service provider for Britain's gas market, Exaserve is committed to helping bring the gas industry together in pursuit of a common goal, decarbonisation of the UK gas network. We want to help plot a smooth path forward and bring the industry together towards this common cause. We believe that hydrogen has a crucial role to play in decarbonising the gas network, and we're lucky enough to be able to work closely with the amazing people and innovative businesses that are pushing hydrogen projects forward. Today, I am joined by uh, a variety of people from across the uh, networks, uh, and uh, I'd like you to introduce yourselves first of all, please. So can I uh, head to you first, James? Absolutely. Thanks, Vicky. So my name is James L. I'm Director of Gas at the Energy Networks Association. So for anyone listening who doesn't know us or isn't familiar with us, we are the trade association which represents the regulated gas and electricity networks in GB and some in Ireland as well. Thank you. Uh, Megan? Yep. Hi, so my name is Megan Bray. I'm a market development lead at National Gas Transmission and I'm currently focusing on hydrogen blending. Thank you. Uh, Bethan. Hello, um, I'm Bethan Winter. I'm System Operation Manager at Wales and West Utilities and we're the gas distribution network for Wales on the southwest of England. Thank you. And last but never least, Mr. Bartik. Thanks, Vicky. Uh, Joel Martin, um, SGN Gas Entry Connections Manager. So uh, we cover obviously Scotland and Southern England. Uh, primarily biomethane connections, um, but also looking at hydrogen, um, potential hydrogen connections, hydrogen blending, etc. So today we would like to talk about hydrogen and hydrogen blending. So there's been a lot of conversations going on around hydrogen at the moment, primarily looking at um, hydrogen for heat, whether that's a good idea or not. With the conversations that are going on at the moment, there's a lot of discussion around hydrogen blend, but not a lot of people actually know what we're talking about when we say hydrogen blend. So I'm going to direct this to you, first of all, uh, um, James. Could you give us a description as to what hydrogen blending actually is? Sure, I'll try and uh, put this across as simply as I possibly can. I mean, quite simply, the idea of blending hydrogen into the network is putting a proportion of hydrogen alongside the methane that's currently in the natural gas network. So at the moment, uh, safety regs allow, I think it's 0.1% of the gas in our pipelines to be um, to be hydrogen. What we're looking at through hydrogen blending, and we'll come in onto this, I'm sure, in a bit more detail, but what we're looking is to raise that quite substantially to 20%. So in a nutshell, just to simply answer the question, it's about putting hydrogen into the existing natural gas network and making as few changes as we can to to the pipes and the rest of the network to facilitate that. Thank you. But with that in mind, we're talking about we're trying to do kind of as, as minimal change as possible to uh, the networks and the pipes in the ground. What's going to happen to consumers' appliances and meters? Do they have to do anything different when it comes to blend? So a lot of work has been done looking at consumers' appliances and meters and generally um, for most boilers um, and appliances that people would use in their homes 20% is the limit where they don't need to make any changes and that's one of the reasons why 20% is given at the moment as an upper limit 
We're also working with industry um, and other gas users to see if there are any customers out there that may be more sensitive and may have specific requirements. But I think the key message is that 20% is the limit where we think um, there would be minimal changes to make. Okay. So as a consumer, I'm not really going to notice what what kind of flavour of gas is coming through if you're blending hydrogen with methane at the moment. I wouldn't really see that. I wouldn't see any changes in my house. My flame's not going to be a different colour. So, so yeah, so, so we're comfortable that um, general consumers are going to be fine and that that's the purpose or the reason that why we've gone with 20% to be in the upper limit. Um, we are looking and doing a little bit more work now for customers who we think may be more sensitive. So that might be particular industrial loads with, with certain sorts of processes and maybe power generation where people are fine-tuning their turbines, for example. But yeah, for the majority of people, 20% will, will just not be noticeable at all. Thank you. Uh, anything anybody would want to add to that question around kind of appliances and meters? Then uh, ultimately, HSE will consult on GSMR changes. So um, I think ultimately everyone, say everyone, um, affected parties will be able to submit consultation responses to that GSMR change, indicating any potential impacts that they might have on the change might have on their appliances, whether it's industrial, commercial or domestic. Great. So yeah, so obviously HSE are all over what, what everybody is trying to do with hydrogen. So nothing will be going into a consumer that hasn't been signed off or approved by the HSE that, and that doesn't meet any changes to, sorry, that doesn't meet any regulations. It may be that we need to uh, make a few changes to some of the regulations, but that will all be done with uh, with approval from the health and safety exec. Yeah. Great. So with all that in mind, leading question, so I'm going to do it to Megan, sorry, but why haven't we started blending yet then? Um, so I guess we have kind of already covered some of that. So firstly, current GSMR only allows for 0.1% of hydrogen into the, the current gas net, existing gas network. Um, so we would need a GSMR change. Um, and in order for that change to happen, the HSE would need to review the safety evidence submitted by Hydeploy project and also the future grid transmission project. Um, so those are kind of the closing up now. So they will be submitting that evidence at the end of this year. And then the HSC will review and then the GSMR will hopefully then be approved and increased up to 20%. Um, so that's kind of the first reason. Again, also we've kind of covered it, but we also need to make sure that we have a suitable market and commercial framework in place. Um, so kind of our current assumptions are that there will only need to be minimal changes and the current kind of framework is compatible just with some minor changes. Um, but again, we would need to go through the process of a UNC uh, review there's also need to be probably some operational processes um, changed as well. So we'd need to review those. So until all that's in place and we've got all that kind of figured out, then we could start blending. Thank you. Uh, James, did you want to come in there? Yeah, I just wanted to add as well. I suppose it's a relatively simple point, but one that's worth making is that we don't actually have much low carbon hydrogen to actually blend at the moment. And I suppose that probably speaks to the question of why 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 would we do blending why would we blend yeah and really blending is all about um enabling the the first the first mover um production projects low carbon hydrogen projects to um manage the risk which comes with being one of those first projects and 
to, to lower their cost of capital to get financing for these projects, to allow them to go ahead and allow them to scale up as well so that we can actually bring hydrogen uh, production at scale to our networks. So, um, yes, there's all sorts of very great technical reasons why it's not being done yet. But the other reason simply is that we don't actually have that much like carbon hydrogen being produced, but blending is all about uh, enabling that to happen. A conversation I've had with with people recently is very much that hydrogen blend is looking to help kickstart that market and help that uh, the the hydrogen production come into play to then enable a hundred percent hydrogen to happen uh, as soon as we can. Yeah, it's a tool to manage risk on these projects. Really, that's what it's all about. Right. So you've answered my question already about where's the hydrogen coming from. I think we've already talked around some of the implications to gas regs and to to codes that are out there. We've recently raised a modification to start to have a look at hydrogen blend. So is it worth kind of talking through um, what you would like from that uh, modification process and how we want to use that to engage with industry? I mean, the the purpose of um, submitting the UNC review group request was basically to open it up to industry and making sure that we've got like a you know full coverage of perceptions um, and, and opinions on you know what is best for hydrogen blending. Um, so we would really encourage you know anyone who would be kind of impacted. So IGTs, um, electricity producers, obviously hydrogen producers, uh, distribution networks, suppliers, the, the the full package. Really, the more kind of um, representatives we have, obviously, the the, the better detail and, and the better kind of we'll, we'll get down to. The, the solution so that's definitely key and that's why we've submitted the review group request thank you so i think we've already started to touch on this james but as and when uh we get to blend where is the hydrogen going to come from i know that's the kind of the the big question but do we have a view of where we think blending may start yeah so um i suppose to start at the beginning almost there are there are several different types and colors of hydrogen uh, that can be produced but the main two that people are talking about when it comes to low carbon hydrogen are blue hydrogen which is um, reformation of natural gas to take the carbon out of it and take um, quite a low carbon hydrogen out of it as well or green hydrogen which is hydrogen produced from electrolysis of water where you split hydrogen away from the water molecules to leave you with just low carbon hydrogen and effectively just water as an emission. To relate this to actually where blending is going to actually start, we think that blending is most likely to start in and around the industrial clusters, which is which are likely to have the relatively bigger um, blue hydrogen production uh, plants. So that's where we think blending is likely to start. And then over time, blending could potentially scale out as you get slightly more dispersed green hydrogen yes in and around particular industrial clusters but also at other points on the network as well um it's important to note with everything we're discussing here as well that we're looking at blending on the distribution network um Mm. the transmission network is different it is made of different materials that are relatively harder to put hydrogen blend into but not impossible and there's plenty of work going on looking at the possibilities of that as well so where from a network point of view are we likely to see uh, hydrogen first being blended is going to be at distribution level, not a transmission level. So one of the big questions I get from uh, shippers in particular at the moment is, is how is hydrogen going to be purchased for blending and how is it going to work in the current market? 
do we have a view yet of of how we think that's going to work? I'm going to point that at you first, Joel. Um, well, I think the one of the primary goals with blending is to um, facilitate blending as soon as possible following the um, government decision on blending, which I think is due later this year in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, so we touched earlier on utilizing the existing or potentially using the existing UNC framework, um, because obviously that's a, a proven existing commercial market framework for gas. Um, and I think the current direction um, of thought, uh, albeit there's, there's obviously, as Megan's mentioned, a, a UNC review group, which gives parties the opportunity to to mould those um, commercial frameworks. Um, th there's obviously a commercial framework for methane at the minute. So, I mean, my thinking is that hydrogen, uh, in terms of its, its kind of commercial, um, the commercial framework for it is it, that it, it, it could and would fit into the existing UNC methane arrangements, um, i.e. would be traded as energy at the NBP um, and flow through sort of existing um, shipper producer um, contractual arrangements, um, if that makes sense. It does. It does. H100 has already introduced a sort of pseudo hydrogen purchasing arrangement into the UNC. So that, that effectively will prove that hydrogen energy can be reduced to the existing commercial framework and be traded by a shipper mm. at the MVP as energy. Um, so that arrangement is already in there. So it's, it's almost a, you know, a, a, a kind of benchmark really for, I think how hydrogen will work because uh, uh, it's just energy at the end of the day. Yes. And we tr we trade in energy, not in gas. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a key point here, isn't it? That although we're talking about ultimately different flavours of gas, it's it's a different calorific value of gas. But at the end of the day, it's energy that we're talking about. It's energy that will be traded. So we would expect it all to work in the way uh, that we trade energy at the moment, whether that be methane or biomethane. And looking at some of the work we're doing with the projects like H100, high deploy for example we've, we've already trialed some of this we've tested it with consumers and we're starting now we, we've kind of run some tests through the market this is really moving to the next next stage of of introducing hydrogen to the network with that in mind uh and i'm gonna uh move over to Bethan for this one so when it comes to billing uh the end consumer how is that going to work and are there going to be any differences if an end consumer receives a blend versus receiving a standard um, mix of, of methane or biomethane? So obviously we'd be looking to keep um, processes as consistent as we can with what we've got now because that just eases implementation um, costs and effort I suppose um, but there will be a tipping point with blending where once the blend concentration is above a certain amount, we probably will need to make some changes. There is a, a different way in, in which settlement will need to happen to take account of the fact that a high blend would materially lower 
the calorific value of the gas that customers were receiving um, and people could end up overpaying at, at that point if we hadn't put appropriate processes in place to allow for that and to effectively correct um, and make, you know, correct the energy value that they were paying for their gas. And I think, uh, and do tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think the intention certainly to start with uh, when we're looking to blend is to blend in a way that it doesn't affect the flow weight average calorific value uh, to, ena- to, to enable settlement and billing to continue as they do today. Absolutely, so although, yeah. So although we can blend up to 20%, looking at lower blends to start with until we have worked out what it is we would want to do to systems to ensure that the, the settlement and billing impacts don't land on consumers. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. So 20% is the long-term kind of aim from a, a safety um, an appliance perspective, but yeah, it is a far lower limit to take into account the commercial arrangements as well, the settlement arrangements. Thanks. So I suppose my next question is probably a mean one, um, but why as a consumer would I be interested in hydrogen blend? What's in it for me as a consumer? Go for it, Jane. I think the short answer to that is hopefully consumers shouldn't be all that interested in hydrogen blend because they shouldn't really notice any sort of difference in the short term with the hydrogen that's going in. But bigger picture here, as I said earlier on, hydrogen blending is all about enabling the scale up of hydrogen production to bring hydrogen to different parts of the economy. So to enable uh, the scaling up of hydrogen production so that costs fall for that production to an extent that we can use it in industry, we can use it um, in, in power generation, we can use it in some transport applications and also eventually to heat homes as well. Uh, to, to really make that vision happen, blending is an important tool. It's an important stepping stone for, to help us get there. So um, what I appreciate for any normal end consumer, they're not really going to understand a huge amount of what hydrogen blending is or the value that it brings to them. They should be interested in it because really it is an important bridging step to help us get to um, to net zero and the decarbonized energy future that we all want. Thank you. I suppose my next question then is, um, so what's the benefit to industry? So I appreciate um, what you've just said with regards to from an end consumer point of view, but from a, a shipper or supplier point of view, what do they need to do? Why should they be behind this? It might be the same answer, but you might have something slightly different for industry. No, I mean, I think the reason they should be behind this, frankly, is because it, it is the future. In 2050, we will not be able to have the natural gas network that we have now, uh, and it will not have natural gas flowing through it because it's simply not compatible with where we need to get to. So we need to decarbonize. Um, we on this call, I know, all have... Uh, it all firmly think that gas has a really important role to play in that, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's biomethane as well. Um, so change is afoot. So for the industry, why should they be interested? Because really um, they need to come along that journey with with everyone that, that needs to make that happen, really. So it's, it's slightly different, I suppose, on the industry side compared to consumers. But ultimately, it's an important stepping stone and it's something that we all need to sort of embrace, really. Thank you. Yes, Bethan. So I was just going to add as well, there is an immediate benefit in terms of decarbonisation as well. So although you're not displacing 100% of your gas, um, the hydrogen 
that's coming in as a blend is displacing up to about 7% probably of, of carbon emissions. So there is that instantaneous kind of benefit and, and lowering of carbon as well in the same way as is happening in the networks with biomethane. Um, you know, it, it's all helping to, to reduce the amount of fossil gas that we're using and that has to be a good thing. It definitely does. So anything we can do to start to reduce that sooner rather than later is key, isn't it? Final part of the podcast is that we give everybody a magic wand. And this magic wand enables you to, to do one thing to uh, to help the country to decarbonise. So if I was to, I know, the power, the power that goes to your head is amazing. So I'm going to start with Joel. If I were to give you a magic wand that you could do anything to help the UK decarbonise, what would that be? Um, I think... I would wave my wand in uh, Exeter's direction. Um, I think, <laughs> um, I think basically, we need to be able to facilitate more flexible central system billing arrangements to allow different gases, not just either hydrogen blend, but hundred percent hydrogen, um, biomethane without propane um, to be injected into the network um, and be settled and billed um, on their individual CV basis um, without um, having to alter CVs or restrict the volume of gas that you can put in. Um, so I think central system changes are uh, required and or probably inevitable, I think, at some point. That'll be it for me. I think that's an excellent wish. Thank you. I'll, I'll add that to my list of things to do. Bethan, do you want to go for it? Yeah, I can do. I think for my magic one, I was probably thinking something about kind of communication and coordination, because I think we've probably got an awful lot to do to inform all of our customers about maybe the changes they do need to make, but also reassure them where they don't need to make changes. And I think at the minute, people are probably having an awful lot thrown at them in terms of the different technology options that are on the table, um, things like smart smart um, metering, things like apps, you know, so there's different things going on on the electricity side. There's different things going on on the gas side with blending and hydrogen. Um, and just making that clear for people and making it accessible I think it's probably quite a big hurdle. And like I say, how we manage the do worry about this, don't worry about that, and find somebody that they can believe in and trust when they're telling them that as well, because there will be people out there, um, maybe tr almost trying to misinform. But you know, you know, people will have different drivers, won't they, in the communication that they're they're giving. I think that's a that's a great wish to have, uh, James. I think my magic wand is going to have to be quite a big magic wand uh, to make this happen. But I think what I would want is all of the technologies, all of the key technologies we need, because we know what they are, but all the key technologies we're going to need to deliver net zero to be scaled up and the costs to come down to a point where they are genuinely affordable for consumers. Um, and this is part of what blending is really trying to achieve, but we need that to happen across hydrogen, we need to happen across carbon capture, we need to happen across renewables as well, different forms of renewables, but um, that's the journey we need to go on. We need to be in 2050 with lots of different technologies, all at an affordable cost for consumers, 
um, so that consumers have choice of lots of different decarbonisation options um, that they can take. So yes, uh, quite a big magic wand needed, I think. Uh, if only I could, I, I, I'm going to find this magic wand somewhere so we can do it. Thank you. Uh, Megan. Okay, so I'd probably say just to have everyone sort of on board with the journey uh, and, and invested, because I think especially, you know, those with kind of higher up with, the, you know, the, the kind of power for, to make certain decisions, I think to have everyone on that kind of consistent pathway and on board would just make things a lot easier sometimes. <laughs> Don't disagree. They are great. I'm going to add them to our magic wand collection. We're getting quite a few. Uh, the one that's been the most... I would say that one most people say is, could we just get some decisions? Just get some decisions as to where we want to go and how we want to do it, and then we can go there. So those are great ones to add. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to thank you all very much for your time. Really appreciate you joining me today, and hopefully you've all learned a bit more about blending. Thank you. It's an exciting time for the gas industry at the moment, and decarbonisation is a fundamental part of how we move forward. If you'd like to keep up to date, we have a great range of resources for the gas industry that you can access. This includes our monthly Delivering Decarb newsletter, which covers topical issues of the moment, our monthly working groups that we'd love you to get involved with, an intranet for industry containing more detailed information about person and projects, an online resource hub on exaserve.com that contains blogs, podcasts, information packs, videos and more. Thank you for listening and I hope you tune in next time. 